0: Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. Good morning again, Living Hope. I invite you to take out your Bibles at this point and to go to Luke chapter 15. Uh, As you're grabbing your Bibles and, and finding your place, just a reminder, uh, we are in the second week of Lent, and we're doing our series Stories Along the Way. Uh, we're, we're looking at the parables that Jesus told as he resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem. The parable that we're looking at today is the, the parable of the lost coin, but as we read through this passage, we're going to read verses 1 through 10, and I want you to pay attention to the first few verses to look at the context. Why does Jesus tell these stories? And then I want you to look particularly at those last two verses, at the story of the lost coin, uh, because that will be our, our second focus as we look through this passage today. Let's read God's word together. Before reading, let's also pray the prayer of illumination. Send your spirit among us, O God as we meditate on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Prepare our minds to hear your word. Move our hearts to accept what we hear. Purify our will to obey in joy and faith. This we pray through Christ our Savior. Amen. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin in the same way. I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I only went to Calvin seminary for one semester During that time, I was encouraged to check out the different churches around. Since we didn't have a vehicle, uh, several students would get together and we would go to a different church every couple of weeks. One church that was suggested by one of our professors was a megachurch in Grand Rapids that had a reputation for uh, getting some of the members from smaller churches. We came into that church uh, muttering to ourselves, uh, muttering about how flashy their advertisements were, muttering about how the, the size of this church couldn't imitate uh, the more intimate, smaller gatherings that, that we had in our own church communities, muttering about how their, their performance-based worship probably couldn't do a good job of bringing participation for everybody. We got there on baptism day, particular day of celebration for them. They were baptizing members who had recently started attending church and were committing themselves to Jesus. The different people walked up and shared their stories, their testimonies. Some had familiar stories of growing up in a church, others more drastic stories, but each was honest. Each shared this longing for the kingdom of God. Uh, When the service finished. Uh, some of the bravest uh, amongst us that had gone into that service muttering uh, had some words of rebuke. Uh, we, we came in skeptical and critical, uh, but we left encouraged in, in what God was doing and excited uh, to bring some of the insights into our communities, the, the power of testimony and celebration for community. Now, in order to appreciate the story of the lost coin, I think it's important uh, to name our places of potential muttering. Muttering is the context of the story of the lost coin. Now, tax collectors and sinners were gathering around him. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, When I picture teachers of the law, I picture this. Mutter, mutter, mutter. They were muttering under their breaths, amongst each other. How could Jesus be eating with these people? Doesn't he know what kind of things they do? Doesn't he know that spending time with them makes them impure? The picture of us visiting the church could probably look fairly similar. Mutter, mutter, mutter. This is no surprise. When it comes to muttering and grumbling, muttering and grumbling, uh, we are naturals. Looking at the history of God's people, we find it's full of stories of people muttering and grumbling. Uh, Perhaps the most famous is in Exodus chapter 15. Uh, This is a story right after Israel gets out of Egypt. Uh, They they burst out into praise and in song. So chapter 15 of Exodus uh, begins with this song of praise to God. And in verse 21 it says, uh, sing to the lord for he is highly exalted both the horse and the rider has hurtled into the sea so the first 21 verses of that chapter are all about the song and then in verse 23 or 24 just a few sentences later we have the words so the people grumbled against moses it, it hardly takes any time for the people of god in this new context to start grumbling as soon as they are in unfamiliar territory, they look like this. Mutter, mutter, mutter. Uh, Jesus' people have, or God's people, have a tendency to do that. As soon as they are in unfamiliar territory, they look like this. Mutter, mutter, mutter. God's people have a tendency to do that, right? The Pharisees have that same attitude as the people in Egypt. They were not able to piece together what God was doing in his big plan to save the world. They couldn't see that in their immediate context, so they complained. The question for us in the midst of this is, do we have a tendency to mutter in similar circumstances? When God is doing things that we don't understand, how do we respond Often, we instinctively see new situations as threats to our way of being. The fact that we're doing a sermon series through videos is a source of some mutterings for myself. I'd prefer to be doing this in person. One of the things I love doing about pulpit exchanges in the past is that I get to meet different people in different churches and hear their stories. I can see the variety in ways that we worship as churches. And I get to see the diversity in our communities. In the midst of missing this, I can get into muttering mode. I can go beyond lamenting the hardships that I'm experiencing. I can go beyond this appropriate lament before God uh, of missing the things, that, the type of lament that's modeled in the Psalms. I can go beyond that. Uh, to, to simply complaints, to simply muttering amongst myself and amongst others. I think this text invites us to consider what causes you to mutter. Maybe it's the type of people who have joined your church. Maybe it's the type of people who've moved into your neighborhood. Maybe it's some of the changes that you've noticed in church attendance or or new aspects of a service. More likely than not, the past year has caught you muttering about our disruption, how we worship, how we do church, or even how we connect to others, how we do our relationships. This passage calls us to recognize our places of muttering. I can be so busy looking at the things i dislike that i'm not seeing the good things that god is doing perhaps god is doing something new or more likely god is doing something very old in new ways god is being god uh, bringing life into hard situations doing god things Uh, but we have a hard time seeing it because This newness of life is showing up in new ways that we're just not used to seeing. This is how the story starts. Jesus is eating, feasting, partying. And this is a sour point with the keepers of the law. And it has been for some time. In Luke 5 where uh, these people, the the Pharisees, the keepers of the law, are questioning why the disciples are eating and drinking while John's disciples fast. And it seems by Luke chapter 15, uh, they still haven't gotten over this hurdle. They they still can't quite grasp why Jesus continues to feast and why he does so with the wrong people. Uh, One commentator says that Jesus eats his way through Luke. And often this eating is in the company of people who the religious elite uh, kept uh, their distance from to stay pure and to stay clean. Their muttering was about this, and it, it was stopping them from seeing the new thing that God was doing in inviting the outsider to the party. In this context, Jesus has three stories. Uh, one lost sheep amongst a hundred, one lost coin amongst ten, and one lost son amongst two. A common strand in each story is that there is a celebration when what is lost is found. Jesus tells them, "You you want to know what the kingdom of God is like? You want to know about God? Well, I'll tell you, and it won't be from a lecture from the Torah." but with a story of everyday type things, with sheep and coins and children. Imagine complaining to Jesus about partying with the wrong type of people, uh, the ones who are a lost cause, and then he turns to you and says, uh, suppose a person has $2,000 in their savings, That's all they have to their name, and somehow when they're counting their money, it only totals to $1,800. You better believe that they're going to go looking around the house, that they're pulling every pillow off the couch. Uh, This isn't just a lost remote. This is a tenth of their savings. Uh, Maybe there's other household members that can help them look for it. Now, when this is found, when they find the missing $200, this is joy. What's lost was found. And this is a story that I can relate to. I am a person of great renown uh, for losing things in my house. I feel like if Jesus was telling me the story, he would just be like, Hey, Steve, you know how you can never find your keys? Uh, Remember that last time where you lost your keys for like two weeks and you looked everywhere, you checked your car, the office, under the bed, every coat pocket, you even looked in pockets of things you haven't worn for years. You stopped checking key places, and you went to places like the, the fridge or the freezer, just thinking, it, where else could it be? And then eventually you found the keys. This this happened to me. Um, they slipped into an umbrella, uh, and they were just hanging out in the bottom, so it, we had to wait for a rainy day. Uh, thankfully, we got lots of those in our area. When I found them, I ran into the house to tell my wife I I had to celebrate. The lost keys had been found. Uh, No expensive replacement keys for the car were needed. And this was just about keys. Uh, But we celebrated. Uh, What was lost was found. And now, with this, Jesus is asking that we we amplify it. A lost person is more than the lost keys or the lost coin. What's lost is found, and that brings joy to God when people repent and turn to him. God's attitude to recovering what is lost is a complete opposite to the muttering. It's not secretive mutterings, but a joyful invitation for all to celebrate. The story is meant to be a crushing blow for the people who were muttering Maybe they could get past this uh, point if it was just an isolated story. Uh, but this is one of three stories in a row where the central theme is celebration and welcome for those who are lost instead of muttering about the changes that are happening. Now, I want you to resist an impulse that we might have when we look at this story and others' uh, Sometimes, at least an impulse that I have when I read it, is to see it as Jesus telling people to be missionaries, to to go out and seek the lost, where where we put ourselves in the place of of the shepherd or of the woman looking for the coin. But in its place in in these stories, we aren't the sheep, or we, we aren't the people looking for it, we're the sheep or the coin, Uh, We are the lost souls needed to be found. Uh, The parables aren't first and foremost about us, uh, but they're about God. Uh, Jesus is giving an insight about who God is, the type of character of God that we have. And and by the way, uh, this is the only parable where an analogy for God is a woman. In the context of ancient Israel, using the analogy of a woman to describe God would have been shocking in itself, let alone the idea of God rejoicing when the wrong type of people gather around him. What does the story teach about God? While the law keepers mutter, God throws parties when we repent. Look at what's repeated In verse 7 and then in 9 and 10. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. Or later in verses 9 and 10. In the same way I tell you there is more rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Both stories center in on rejoicing. They are the rejoicing of God and and all of heaven when what is lost is found. Finding in both stories is equated with repentance. And this, I think, demands at least a brief look at the word repentance, since this is the cause of such rejoicing. Repentance, in this instance, is a turning from. It's turning from sin but also a turning towards God. Repentance communicates more than just confession. It's more than just confessing our wrongdoings before God. It's admitting our failures, speaking them to God, but also making that commitment to be in that right relationship with God again. Repentance speaks towards renewed standing in relationships. These are not mere tax collectors and sinners, these are sinners who are turned from their ways and are turning into their relationship with God. The God that we're introduced to in this story is one of grace and one who longs for his people to return to him. It is a message of gospel where God is the one who rescues and welcomes. I don't know who needs to hear this, but hear this gospel word for you. When you turn to God in repentance, God does not mutter, oh, here they come again. God rejoices in your return. The coin is not scolded in our story, but rejoiced over. God is not disgusted, but delighted when we turn to him, recognizing that we need his help. This is true for you, and for others who may not, not may not have their lives fully together. Repentance signals God's joy because it restores what is lost. It's not an insult for Jesus to be eating with these people, but a sign of God's kingdom coming. In fact, the food that Jesus is sharing with the tax collectors and sinners is a pale imitation of the feast in heaven in the joyful celebration of what is lost is found. That God is about celebration and welcoming to a party. Luke tells this story as one of several stories that Jesus tells as he resolutely sets his face towards Jerusalem to the cross this story then is one that can enrich our understanding of what salvation is sometimes when we think about salvation we think of it in terms of power that god has the power to save us but the image of joyful welcome to the party is more than just an image of power but one of relationship and intimacy god is not just doing a power move in rescuing us in salvation God is welcoming us into a community. There's a a lesson here in how the kingdom works. It's like a community that when one goes missing, all are affected. When one is restored, we are called into celebration. The response then, when we see a, a sinner eating with Jesus, good. The response was excitement, celebration. Jesus is eating with tax collectors and people ill repute? Throw a party, laugh, enjoy each other's company. We were incomplete without these people and now they are back. Salvation is looked at not so much as a rescue in these stories, but being drawn into this eternal celebration. Now, if that's what it says about God and salvation, what does it say about us? We are called to join in the rejoicing of God. If we are not primarily rejoicing when newcomers come, if we're not people of hospitality and welcome, then we're missing a big part about what it means to join in God's celebration. The muttering of the Pharisees is not just bad because it sounds like complaining. It's the opposite of the rejoicing and when we see the good things that God is doing. It's the opposite of joining into the joy that God brings in welcoming people into restored relationship. I started with a story about a time that I visited a big church and caught myself muttering recognizing the pharisee in myself this didn't mean that i suddenly agreed with everything that they were doing and that i joined that church i still think that god is doing something very special in smaller communities however moving past my mutterings reminded me that god might be doing things in places that i don't fully understand It reminded me of how infectious the joy can be when we celebrate one another and actually participate in the celebration that's going on in heaven. It made me question, how can I get past my mutterings to see the things that God is doing? In our conversations after the service, we talked about the the rich tradition in the CRC that we have in profession of faith, how we already have this time where we affirm God's promises in our lives, how these are times that we can make truly celebratory. We talked about the opportunity when adults are baptized and share their stories. We talked about the witness and celebration in infant baptism, where we get to celebrate these signs of God's great grace. We talk about dedication or commitment services, how, how some CRC churches bring these opportunities for people to affirm their profession of faith. This new experience had reopened our eyes to the ways that God can be working in new ways around us. It It led to us brainstorming ways that we can live into this reality, that God's gospel invitation for us to repent is also this invitation into celebration. And when we welcome others in, we have this opportunity to join in with a celebration that's already happening in heaven. I want to close with these questions, some of these challenges that are brought up through our passage. Is God working in new ways in your life, in your church, in ways that you can't quite see yet that might be causing us to mutter? Are there places where we are currently muttering, where we could be invited to see the joys of new things that God is doing? How can you show welcome and celebrate those who are tuning into your services? How might you be able to show uh, the willingness to join into the celebration. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for the party that you invite us into. Thank you for the welcome to something full that is incomplete without us. Draw us to repentance, knowing that you do not mutter Turn us away, but that you celebrate in our return to you. Thank you that you go out looking for us and help us to be rejoicers, people who join in the celebration in heaven when we see people sitting down with you. May we live in light of the grace that you have shown us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.